Alert Medic 1 respond. You're listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Hello and welcome to the Alert Medic One podcast. My name is Mustafa Sadiq. And I'm Ken Sanner. We're uh, really excited to uh, meet and discuss airway management with our medical director, Dr. David Bifford. Good morning. I think airway management ends up being one of those skills that we don't do as often or we don't train as often as we should. I don't think we do it as much pre-hospital as you know, we do other skills. And uh, I think our skills can be really, really tested when we end up having to do the procedure. Yeah, airway management, especially advanced airway management, even in a busy system, is one of those low-frequency, high-acuity skills that can really be tricky, especially if you have an anatomically difficult patient. As we were talking about before the show, when you look at the airway anatomy, it's really your roadmap for our airway management skills. And that's why we want to start off talking with Dr. Vitberg about airway anatomy today. It's, it's very crucial to understand to have a successful practice. This is going to be a, a multi-part series. We're going to start with anatomy and physiology, and then we'll go uh, directly into, uh, as uh, further episodes progress, We'll talk about uh, BLS interventions about airway management and then endotracheal intubation, uh, supraglottic airway usage, and then finally surgical interventions to, uh, to the airway. Doc, you want to get started with uh, airway? Yes, absolutely. So you, you hit the nail on the head with low frequency, high acuity. Our indications for intubation seem to be diminishing every day. So we're moving away from intubating patients in cardiac arrest. We're being told that intubation of patients across the spectrum in the field, you know, is associated with worsened outcomes. So it's critical that, that we continuously learn and, and practice this skill. So one of the most important things with regard to anatomy I learned from my anesthesia colleagues is the concept of progressive, slow visualization. So too often in the field, providers don't open up the mouth wide enough. They try to get either a video laryngoscope or a direct laryngoscope in the mouth and quickly deliver the endotracheal tube to the cords. And one of the things that I found over doing this for many years is if you pump the brakes and you just slow down a little bit and you progressively visualize the structures as you approach the glottis, the vocal cords, you're actually going to increase your competence. You're going to increase your first pass success rates. And so let's just get into what does that mean, progressive visualization. So the first thing is you got to open up the patient's mouth widely. Okay. Too often I see people inserting a laryngoscope without even doing a cross finger technique and opening the mouth. So you want to open up the mouth, and this is, of course, after you've done your assessment, your vital signs, your basic airway management. So we're kind of just jumping right into advanced airway management today. With progressive visualization, you want to slowly walk your blade down the tongue and slowly approach the glottis. So anesthesiologists will tell you, first comes laryngoscopy, and then as we approach the epiglottis, we're going to slide a curved blade into the molecula and do indirect manipulation of the epiglottis or take our straight blade or Miller and directly manipulate the epiglottis. And, and again, a fancy term for that, that I kind of roll my eyes at when my anesthesia colleagues talk about is epiglottoscopy. And then when we kind of get to the epiglottis, we want to either directly elevate it or indirectly elevate it. And we're going to be looking for the vocal cords, the vocal folds. And I think one of the most key pieces of anatomy for ALS providers or folks that intubate in the field to be aware of is our speed bump, the uh, retinoid cartilage, which sits at the posterior portion of the airway. And I specifically want everybody to go pull up an image of a glottis, okay? 
take a look at the arytenoid cartilage, recognize those two pearly little speed bumps at the bottom of the V, the posterior portion of the airway. Now, why do I bring that up? With the advent of video laryngoscopy in particular, when people are pushing tubes either off a rigid stylet or they're delivering a tube through a channel, most of the time that tube will hit the right posterior arytenoid cartilage and it will fold into the glottis and create an obstruction. And so, you know, we're not going to be able to right now get into all the subtle techniques about how to do that better. But, you know, you have to, you have to know the anatomy to know how to refine your intubation skill to make yourself more successful. And what I would pass along to you today is just embrace the term progressive or slow visualization of the airway structures. Take the time to slowly advance your laryngoscope or your video blade slowly down the tongue towards the molecula. Appreciate as the epiglottis comes into view, as you either directly or indirectly lift the epiglottis, visualization of the cords. And what I'll finish with is, again, with the advent of video laryngoscopy, very, very often people are over-zooming. So they're rushing that process. They're not doing that progressive visualization. They're putting the, the lens of that camera basically either at the cords, so you're looking into this dark abyss, or worse, the esophagus. And what I find most times when I bail people out, all I'm doing is simply pulling that camera out a little bit and zooming out. So again, more emphasis on just slow visualization, progressive visualization, not rushing to get to the cords, appreciating the anatomy, becoming familiar with the anatomical landmarks that will be a hurdle, specifically that posterior right retinoid cartilage. So I definitely can appreciate what you're saying. I, I found in, in my practice as a paramedic, one of the most useful things for me is being familiar with these landmarks, because if I do go in too deep or I'm in too shallow, I can really kind of look in the airway, see where I am, figure out what I'm seeing, and then adjust my blade as necessary. What are the best ways for an EMS clinician to become familiar with these airway structures, especially if they don't see them often? What, what are the best ways that we can really go in and practice and get a good idea of what we're looking at if, say, you know, real live intubations are not a super common thing for us? Yeah, so I, I think there's a, a couple ways. So, you know, the, the golden way, unfortunately, is becoming more and more difficult these days with, you know, hospital coverage, liability, training programs, having trouble getting into the operating room. So obviously, you know, controlled intubations in the OR setting, again, problematic because that opportunity has become fleeting. Where you can actually do that slow, wide mouth opening, introduce a blade slowly, progressively visualize everything, take a little bit of time in that perfectly controlled setting with that perfectly pre-oxygenated, fasted patient to look around a little bit. After that, you're going to be managing these patients in the field. And if you can control your heart rate and slow your own procedural skill level down a little bit, you'll learn from every patient whose airway you have to manage. If you can just take a deep breath and maybe slow that procedure down by two to three seconds and take stock of what you're looking at. Next, you know, the internet is full of, of media to look at, static images, uh, YouTube videos. You just have to be careful what you're consuming there and, and make sure that it's, you know, somewhat vetted and accurate material. And then there are actually more and more high-fidelity airway managers coming out into sim labs. So, you know, where we train our EMS folks here in Baltimore County and, and at my hospital, we have a Gamard airway trainer, we have other airway trainers that actually don't really replicate things perfectly. It's still that stiff plastic, but you still can certainly take 
particularly the novice student, through no recognition of basic error structures there. Yeah, it, it seems to me that Cadaver Labs would probably be a great resource as well, although the problem with Cadaver Labs, you know, logistically, number one is getting into them, and number two, after you've done a few intubations on the cadaver, the, the anatomical structure is still there, but the, you know, the glottic opening is wide and everything's kind of like pushed into place and kind of stiff. And I, I did actually want to ask you about high-fidelity mannequins versus low-fidelity and how well of a job they do simulating the airway, but I think you really kind of covered that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking to buy a trainer for your program, to go through kind of the checklist, national registry, I have to do steps one, two, three, four, five, six to, to intubate somebody, you can certainly practice those on a low-fidelity mannequin. If you really want to start refining your skill outside of actually operating on a real human, live human or a cadaver, there are a couple good high-fidelity, specifically high-fidelity airway trainers, which can, you can even simulate angioedema, you can, you can puff out the lips, you can swell the tongue, you can swell the cords, you can, uh, you can inflate it and create bronchospasm and, and close the cords. So they're out there and uh, you don't necessarily have to buy the full body high-fidelity mannequins. They actually make you know, those hemithorax head down to the belly button high-fidelity trainers that are capable of doing and simulating those things that actually have decent anatomy, but I would argue that, you know, any paramedic who intends to be intubating people has to have an experience either in an operating room or under the close supervision of a mentor or preceptor. You have to learn this skill at some point on somebody who has real flash, real mucosal tissue. The simulators will never, ever replicate that. I think the when I, when I train folks, not only is simulating the patient important, but also having hands-on experience with the equipment when you're not in a crucial, critical setting. So, for example, when I, you know, I was training a, a person when I was working in Cecil County, and every day we would go in, and he'd have a laryngoscope in his hand, right? He'd have a bougie in his hand because those fine movements of rotation, when you're, you know, you can't exactly get that bougie into the airway. Or in during radio laryngoscope, especially, it's not necessarily about, you know, up and down movement, it's rotational movement, right? And you don't really get that experience unless you've played with it in a non-critical setting. Because as you said before, what's the first thing that goes when our heart rate goes up? Our fine motor skills, right? I call and, it jazz hands. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, start shaking. Yeah, yeah, and I always say jazz hands never save anybody, right? Yes. And it's critical get that, to get that training. I do. Uh, it goes so, so you pointed on another good little basic anatomy fact that you know I think deserves mention here that I think any paramedic has to know. Uh, I would hope everybody does know, but you know, just a reminder that you know tracheal rings just are anterior smooth muscles. Post your you were talking about loss of fine motor skill when your heart rate goes up, and you mentioned the word bougie, and that specifically, if you think about that little 20, 30 degree L-shaped hockey stick. You have to hold that in your hand a hundred times and understand how that really basic thing works before you put it down through somebody's vocal cords because, number one, if you don't recognize that tracheal rings are just anterior and that little hockey stick deflection has to be directed anterior to sound the trachea and appreciate that, that uber-fine tactile sensation of the clicks in your fingers. You're never going to hear it. People, I had one student tell me, oh, I don't hear anything. Bit of remediation required there. So sounding that trachea, feeling those tracheal rings between your fingers. You know, again, basic anatomy that you got to know. And holding that bougie in your hand during those quiet moments in the station, the range scope in your left hand, bougie in your right, and just kind of rehearsing that skill. 
critically important. Because I will say every mannequin I've ever trained with is fantastic at, you know, maybe over-exaggerating mm-hmm. the Traco rings. No, yeah. But that is so good for, you know, when it translates to either real life or even a cadaver lab, you know, the fine feeling, right? So, Doc, as we finish up, I really want to review the actual anatomy. And I know you mentioned that it's kind of hard to visualize. We'll be attaching an image when we publish uh, this episode. But if you don't mind, can you actually go into that progressive view as the, you know, as the paramedic, as the, you know, the advanced life support provider introduces the laryngoscope, what are they going to be seeing both uh, in the upper airway and, you know, as they get close to the other levels? Yeah, so number one, I would be remiss without saying, you know, a good external exam has to happen first. You know, we learn about the lemon mnemonic, looking at, you know, what do the patient's teeth look like? How big are their incisors? Do they have teeth? Do they have dentures? Do they have any limitation in mouth opening? So you have to do a good external exam. Do they have a collar on? Whereas, you know, I'm going to have to loosen that collar to, to distract or open the jaw. So external exam always happens first. Then as we open the mouth widely, typically, first thing we're going to see is a tongue, big, small, everything in between. And then in our line of work, we're going to have to have suction available because there may be foreign bodies, there may be blood, vomitus, teeth, so suction, because we may not be able to see anything initially, and we just may have to kind of clean a soiled airway. But then as we, let's assume that we're holding in our hand a curved Macintosh blade, as we kind of roll it into place, basically we should be putting it in the corner of the mouth, shifting the tongue towards the left. You should be sliding that along the tongue, and then eventually the tip of the blade should hang up in the vallecula, which sits at the conjunction of the base of the tongue and the epiglottis. And then if we get into the vallecula and we start to lift, we should be lifting up the epiglottis, and we should see the vocal cords, two pearly white strips at the deepest portion of the glottis. To the left and the right of those, you'll see vocal folds, which are kind of a, usually the patient has perfusion, a slightly darker red tissue. And then in a V-shape, coming backwards towards the posterior structures, we should see the epiglottic folds connecting to the posterior retinoid cartilage. So those are kind of your key anatomic things that you need to be aware of. Again, epiglottises come in various shapes and sizes. They can be very small and kind of easily manipulated. They can be big and floppy, where even when you elevate with a Macintosh blade, you're still having complete occlusion and you can't see that glottis, which is where maybe a bougie comes into play. So there's going to be variations on a theme. No, no one airway is the same. And as the saying goes, anticipate that every airway is going to be difficult. Anticipate that every mouth opening is going to be limited. Anticipate that every tongue is going to be big and floppy. Anticipate that everybody's going to have a big floppy epiglottis and it's going to be hard to see the cords. Anticipate the airway's going to be soiled and you need suction. Long story short, you've got to be prepared for the abnormal and be happy when you encounter a normal looking airway that you can get to the cords with that slow progressive visualization and get the patient intubated. Very good. So I think that's uh, pretty good for our first episode on airway management. I agree. I think we had a great discussion. I'm excited for part two and the other upcoming parts on this topic. We want to thank everybody for listening. Please check out our website, www.alertmedic1.com. Check out our blog, see what we have. Find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Leave a comment if you like the show, if you have suggestions for future topics, things you want to see discussed. We love to hear it. We're on Twitter at alert underscore medic1. And don't forget to like, download, and subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I cannot stress enough. Please send your feedback. Um, whatever you, you know, topics you want to hear, uh, any you know, s- uh, suggestions you have for us doing better. Thank you very much for listening in. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Thank you.